Now, let's get to Matthew 16. What do you say? Matthew chapter 16. I'll begin reading at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, it's hard to overstate the importance of these of this text, of, of this event. This is a, a, a turning point in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It is also a turning point in the life and ministry of Peter, but Peter's not the, the point here, Jesus is. Once this cat is out of the bag, that is this statement by Peter, once that cat is out of the bag, then the, then the cross is inevitable. The cross is a little more than six months away. And Jesus, as he so often does, forces a, a, a crisis here by asking a question. The question is, who do men say that I am? Of course, opinions predictably and, and um, uh, understandably vary. Some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're a prophet risen from the dead, et cetera, et cetera. But there's all, there are all kinds of explanations that are, that are sought in a, in an attempt to, to escape the obvious. Guys, the, um, the preferred solution in our day, that is the, the, uh, the alternative that is most appealing to the 21st century is this one. That Jesus Christ is just a good moral teacher. Who is he? He's just a good moral teacher. Um, he is that. And, and he certainly did give this world the highest and the greatest ethic ever known to man. But the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, is that he's not just a good moral teacher. Because this good moral teacher has sent thousands of people to their death... The only reason that they die is because they belong to him. You're not good if you send people to their death just because they belong to you. Guys, I I think you know, you probably heard this before. C.S. Lewis had an explanation in his book, Mere Christianity. If you haven't uh, read that, you you ought to try to read that. Mere Christianity, he, he, he says this. that here Here are your options. Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. You've heard that before. But um, if, he's, if he's a liar, then he's not a good moral teacher. If he's a lunatic, he's not a good moral teacher. And so the alternative left before you 
is Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I just wish that the world would slow down and think through what they're saying when they call him, which is their preferred explanation, that he's a good moral teacher. Ladies and gentlemen, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. Nonsense on which people are banking their eternities, a piece of utter nonsense. But the opinions keep coming. <laughs> and as I said, the, the one that's liked the most in our day is that he's a good moral teacher. The, 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 there was a lot of opinions in, in Peter's day as well. And, and as I said, they're all attempts to escape the obvious. But guys, our purpose this morning is really not to examine wrong opinions. My, my purpose this morning is to, is to discuss and examine right ones, or the right one. Now, having said all that, ladies and gentlemen, this is powerful stuff right here. Verses 13 through 20 of Matthew 16. This is, this is powerful stuff. You've got to understand that there is no other religion on the face of the planet whose leader makes a claim like this one. There's nothing small potatoes about it. There's nothing about this claim that could be considered non-essential. After he receives a reply to his first question, who do men say that I am? He then turns and says, and who do you say that I am? And by the way, that you, who do you say that I am, is, um, is in the plural. It's addressed not simply to Peter. It's addressed to all 12 of them. But of course, as, as is so often the case, Peter is the one who replies. And Peter says... you got to get this. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus doesn't correct him. That's what you got to get. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are a good moral teacher and somebody comes and says, well, you're God, you're the very, you're the Messiah, and you don't correct that, you are wicked through and through. You know, I know that, <laughs> that, uh, I mean, I am marvelously loved in this congregation. I mean, I just know y'all all adore me. But if you were to come to me and say, we love you so much, Dr. Young. We think that you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And if I don't stop you in that, I am as wicked as they come. And you ought to run for the hills from this lunatic. But you've got to notice in that text, ladies and gentlemen, he makes no attempt to correct or refuse what Peter has said. If you are only a good moral teacher, 
First of all, you would certainly want to correct a misapprehension, a misconception. But he doesn't. He accepts this ascription of deity. Ladies and gentlemen, that's huge. It's just huge. It's huge in terms of the culture in which we find ourselves. Because our culture is saying certain things, have all these opinions about who he is. And yet, as you read from this section of the New Testament, this thing, this outlandish, out, this, this stunning claim is made. And he never tries to mitigate, to correct, or to refuse that Peter has just called him God. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, think about this. Do you know anything about Judaism? Anything? Well, you'll know this much. Judaism is our, Judaism is strictly monotheistic. You know what a monotheism is? A one God. Judaism is monotheistic. This statement found in verse 16 there comes out of the mouth of a Jew. A Jew whose only training is in monotheism. And this monotheistic Jew says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And nobody disagrees. You know, guys, uh, he says this long before Philippians 2 or, or Colossians 1 or Hebrews 1 are written. Those are all passages where the deity of Christ are, are, are explained or are taught. But Peter didn't learn this from Paul, ladies and gentlemen. He didn't learn it from Paul. In fact, you're going to see in a minute where he did learn it, where he did get it. But guys, if you don't hear anything else that is said this morning, if you are a part of the not yet convinced, first of all, let me say how delighted we are that you're here. Keep coming. Keep asking. Keep searching. Keep keep studying. But may I say this to you, my friend? Here is a claim that you're going to have to sort out where this came from. And the thing that I would have you to consider is this. Once this statement of this ascription of deity is, is out of the bag, out of Peter's mouth, If you don't correct that, you are evil. Unless. Unless you're God. Guys, there's nothing about that that is non-essential. It is the heartbeat of the Christian religion. No other religion has a leader that makes a claim like this. You've got to get that. 
Christianity is utterly unique in that its founder and its centerpiece is someone who claims to be God. Okay. But I want you to notice as the text unfolds, um, what Jesus says in reply, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And, and guys, <laughs> this, this might be a little bit shocking for you. He says, um, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, gang, um, do you understand what Jesus just said to Peter? Peter comes out with this marvelous description of who Jesus Christ is. And, and Jesus says, he pronounces a benediction on Peter and then goes on to try and make it abundantly clear that Peter, that didn't, flesh and blood didn't teach you that. That's a Hebrew idiom, guys, that all it means is human nature. That is, human reason will not take you to this conclusion, Peter. Your, your will will even, your human will will even oppose it. It wasn't human nature that taught you that. It was my father who taught you that. Guys, again, that is a, that is a, a very simple statement about a huge doctrine called Regeneration. Gang, there is a blindness that you and I bring to spiritual things that is a result of the fall. Okay? To cure that blindness requires a work of divine creative power. The recognition of who Jesus is is something that must come from an intervention that God has made in your life. That's called regeneration. That is, God the Holy Spirit takes off the blinders, removes the scales, removes the veil, and and teaches you certain things about spiritual truth. You know, how does he do that? Well, that's hard to say. But listen to what John says. This is what John says in John 3.8. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Did you get that? The wind. Being born of God is likened to the wind blowing. And the wind blows where it wishes. We hear the sound of it. We see the effects of it as the, as the leaves move in the, in the wind. But what, you, what exactly is going on? I, the, that's about as much as the Bible gives us. All we know is this, guys. In fact, the one who describes it the best in my mind is Ezekiel. In chapter 36, Ezekiel says he exchanges a heart of stone with the, and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Guys, in this, this glorious spiritual work of the Holy Spirit, where I get a new heart, with that new heart comes an ability to see certain things. What things? 
Well, on a lot of things, but one of the things that I see is this. That he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If you view Jesus Christ as God at this moment, it is because what God did for Peter, he has done for you. Any of us who recognize the deity of Jesus Christ, it wasn't flesh and blood that took us there. It was God's spirit who explained things, who who exchanged this dead heart of ours and gave us one that is alive so that we could see and grasp and, and enjoy. Flesh and blood didn't teach you that, Peter. It was, um, it was my father in the person and work of his spirit. Now, guys, um, I, I would really like to avoid this, but I can't because the text includes it. I got to address something else that's really controversial in the text, and then we're going to come back to the mainstream of the text. Because after that, Jesus renames Peter and calls him Petras. Um, he gives him a title, Petras. Um, it's a fulfillment of a promise that he made to him on the first time that he ever met him back in John 1. And it comes on the heels of this great exclamation on the part of Peter. What we're watching here is a soul grow up. We're watching a soul develop, a soul mature, a soul getting better, getting a better and better grasp of who Jesus is. Unfortunately, however, this whole direction of the text has been co-opted. It's been hijacked. You know what I mean? <laughs> Look at it. Um, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, <clears throat> and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on You ever heard of that? That's the text that's been hijacked, ladies and gentlemen. Because as you may know, it is, it is the verse on which the Roman Catholic Church rests its whole understanding of the supremacy of Peter as Pope, the Bishop of Rome, apostolic succession, all that business. Guys, I, you know, I, I'm tempted to tell you a whole lot, but I, um, let me just tell you this. Let me just tell you a little. The rock in this text had, does not have to do with Peter at all. Well, that's not true. It doesn't have to do with a person at all. It has to do with what the person said. That is, Jesus Christ says, on this verbal profession of faith that I am the Messiah, it is the very foundation on which I will build my church ongoingly. This is the first statement of, of faith there will be millions of others, but on this rock, the rock of understanding who I am and what I've come to do, on this rock, I will build my church. My friends, if you 
are in that church, it's because you've had the same profession of faith that Peter had. And it came from the same place Peter's did. You have been added to that church on that foundation of, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This keys of the kingdom business that's used, I think so unfortunately, to to describe the abilities and the prerogatives of the Pope. Folks, that, that prerogative that is that is mentioned in chapter 16, in chapter 18, is also mentioned as being in the possession of the entire apostolic band. Do you get my point? My point is, the keys of the kingdom, whatever they are, the keys of the kingdom were not given to Peter and him only. They're given at least to the twelve. Gang, don't miss the import of this text by getting bound up in the whole controversy of the Pope. This is not about a man. This is about what a man said. And what that man said forms the foundation on which Jesus Christ builds his church. And if you are in that church, it's because you have shared the same insight of Jesus Christ as he has. Now, let me get back to what I really want to talk about. Guys, um, there is a real drama in this text, and you know how I love drama. It begins with Jesus saying, who do men say that I am? They tell him. And then he says, okay, good to know. But who do you? Who do you say that I am? The conversation goes from something that is broad and impersonal to something that is very narrow and up close and personal. Guys, how do you answer that question? How are you going to answer that question when it's asked of you? By the way, Peter can't ask, can't, can't answer for you. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Guys, there's a whole lot of folks, and some who um, worship here at Grace of Anne, who are fully prepared to say that Jesus Christ is John the Baptist or Jeremiah or some other prophet. And you treat him that way. And that, my friends, is the Jesus that the world can know completely unaided by God. But to, but to join Peter in this church that Jesus is building, that's going to require that you see him to be far more than just another prophet. Guys, it is, um, it is a church that Jesus begins to build with this first person who by faith confesses him as God in flesh. And then millions will follow. You followed. I followed. 
Peter's confession is the, is the, is the foundation on which the church of Jesus Christ is built. That Jesus Christ is God in flesh. Now, about 2,000 years later, a man by the name of Soren Kierkegaard. You know that name? Kierkegaard is a, is a Danish philosopher. And, and Kierkegaard said this, and I, and I want to quote him. It's just one sentence. In order to fully understand what it means to be a Christian, you must stand in the crowd, point to a man, and say, He is God. I'll say that again. In order to fully understand What it means to be a Christian, you must stand in the crowd, you must point to a man and say, he, he, that one, he is God. Have you done that? Can you do that? Will you do that? If not, make no mistake about it, my friend. You are not a Christian. Not according to my standards, but according to these. But it, it's not too late. The door of grace is, is, is still open. We, we Christians, we're just a group of people who know how wicked we are. And we fully and wholly rely on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. You know what we Christians are? We are a group of people who stand in a crowd and point to a man and say, He is God. Have you done that? If you have, ladies and gentlemen, it is because the same thing that God did for Peter, he's done for you. He has opened your eyes to see the beauty of this person. Gang, boil all away, all about baptism and all about eschatology and all about whether you're a covenantalist or dispensationalist or whatever your theological moorings are. Boil it all away. We stand in a crowd, we point to a man, and we say, He's God. He's my God. Have you done that?
Our Father, I, I do ask that this text might um, might be used of you to to underscore the beauty of this person whose whose name we have used is Jesus. Might from this moment forward we never confuse him with anything other than God in flesh, God incarnate, the God who left his home in glory and has visited planet earth so that redemption could be accomplished in his life and death. So, Father, if you have brought people here this morning who have not yet sorted that out, would you grant them eyes to see and ears to hear? And then, God, would you at least cause them to see that their their position is so untenable about him being a good moral teacher. Would you would you continue to dis, to unveil yourself in front of them? Would you draw people to the place where they can stand in that crowd, point to your son and say, Thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Father, for those of us who can say that, it is not because of flesh and blood. It's not a human accomplishment. It's not an achievement made and accomplished in the flesh. It is, it is the result of this spirit-moved exchange of hearts so that we can now see Jesus Christ in all of his beauty. We bless you, O God, for a salvation so rich, so beautiful, so pure, that accomplishes in completion the salvation of your people. We belong to you, Lord God. Put us where you want us, doing what you want us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name.